Welcome to the second season of The Bulb. If you've joined us on The Bulb before, welcome back. If you're a new listener, we're pleased to have you. Season 1 listeners will remember the diversity of our first audio outings. We journeyed back in time to learn more about the history of Queensland's service landscape and explored the personal history of one of our state's notable figures in responding to gender violence. We were inspired by contemporary leadership in the sector and heard the warm conversation of our First Nations colleagues who shared their practice wisdom. 2020 will be remembered by our world as the year of COVID and how we communicate with men who use violence when face-to-face engagement is not possible was a topic we could not ignore. If you missed season one, don't worry, you can still access these fascinating podcasts. For those who have yet to subscribe, we suggest you do so by tapping that subscribe button. Then you'll get notified of each new release of the Bulb podcast as season two and beyond unfold. In this second season, you can expect more variety. And don't be surprised if you hear new accents as an international research colleague or two join us. Oh, and be prepared for some familiar voices too, as we hear from our friends in practice and academia. Hello, Season 2. Jude Marshall, welcome to The Bowl. Hi, Colleen. Nice to see you. You too. Thanks for being with us today. So, Jude, we're going to start off today because you're a very interesting woman and we'd like to know more about Jude, the woman, the background, um, where you've come to. You've been a friend of the centres for many years. Let our listeners know more about Jude, please. (laughs) Okay. Um, Can I start by acknowledging that I'm recording this on Uibera country and um, respecting their elders past present and emerging um, on land that was never ceded and and I um, yes acknowledge their ownership of our land of this land. Um, I was born in New Zealand um, I'm still a Kiwi um, and I as I grew up my first real job um, after the old cleaning jobs that high school people do um, was learning psychopedic nursing. Um, psychopedic nursing is the type of nursing that we used to train people for um, in the days when we had institutions and it's for people children with severe disabilities. So there were um, everything from patients who were permanently in beds to patients who needed to um, be cared for uh, as they were really active. So that was that was a very interesting job for me. Um, I went on to have four children and my first child fourth child um, turned out to have severe disabilities as a result of birth trauma. Um, He was a twin. So I was a very busy person with four children under four. (laughs) Um, Richard was and is a beautiful child. Um, He's 50 now, but he's still a beautiful child. Um, And I not only applied what I knew, but I learned so much more from Richard. Um, He used to scoot around the um, lounge floor on his backside, um, grab the dog's legs. The dog was very patient. (laughs) Um, 
do all sorts of wonderful things. Um, he's very musical um, and he enjoyed that. And um, we tried um, various therapies and I freely admit I wasn't very good at um, maintaining a routine for him with the other three children and the complications of my life. Um, one of the things I did in those early days um, was to combine with other mothers of children with similar disabilities. And we formed friendships and we formed um, an association and met regularly. Uh, one of the things I remember we did, we wrote to the Minister of Education at that time and said we would like some support for the children that we are at home looking after um, because at that time there was no expectation unless they went into an institution that anything more would happen but the, we would look after them until we died. Um, we received the princely sum of $11 a week um, at that time from, from that um, advocacy which I was very proud of. <laughs> yes, it didn't go far. Um, but anyway, that, so there were lots of things and dynamics around disability. Um, Richard was blind and had um, uh, cerebral palsy, so he, his mobility and his sight were, were um, compromised. Um, so that, that led me on um, eventually when um, the children were a bit older. I went to university, which I never thought I would do in, in my life. Um, and I studied sociology, which was absolutely fascinating to me. And then I discovered women's studies and I was away. I, I took off like a rocket, absolutely loved it. Um, got involved um, with the women's refuge movement in New Zealand. I never literally worked for them, but of course, most of their workers are volunteers anyway. Um, I was also involved in um, providing training for their workers actually and what we called in New Zealand biculturalism. So learning and understanding um, different cultures, um, in this case, Maori culture, um, but also immigrant cultures and, and um, you know, uh, recognizing who we were, where we came from and making sure that we were able to recognize the differences with other people. So that, that was another big learning curve that I undertook. Um, after I finished university and um, doing a stint at um, aged care facility with the Alzheimer's unit while I was at university, but after I left, I um, was responsible for uh, running the Young Women's Support Trust, which was a house which accommodated teenage young women who'd been abused at home. Um, and we used to teach them life skills, as we called it in those days, and fit them out so that they could um, go and live independently. Very interesting times, great traumas, stories, oh my dear. Um, so anyway, uh, the funding for that eventually dried up, which was quite quite um, sad. Um, then I managed to buy the local feminist bookstore um, and yeah, had, had a wonderful time in there, met so many people, um, joined with, you know, the local lesbian support group and all sorts of other groups and met authors and had a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, I guess, yeah, um, unfortunately in those days, um, bookstores weren't the way to make money. Um, and 
yeah, but I had a, a fabulous four years running that bookstore. Um, I then took over the Housing Advice Centre, and that was modelled around social housing and um, uh, specialised housing, such as obviously for women involved with uh, with the women's refuge, but also the institutions were closing, which I think was probably happening in Australia at the same time. So we had a lot of people who had been left in mental health facilities and disability institutions for years and years, and those people now required supported housing. So that was a real challenge that um, we spent a lot of time advocating with local government, um, national governments, um, trying to get changes um, made for that. Um, so after I left there, uh, 10 years later, I went and worked for the Health and Disability Commissioner and was an advocate for people who came to us and said, um, I'm not happy with what I've received from the health service or the disability service. Can you advocate for me? So that was another um, form of advocacy that I undertook. Um, in the meantime, my daughter had come to live in Queensland and um, she started saying to me, you should come over. So I did. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, I came over and I walked immediately into the um, job as manager of the local domestic violence service. The passion of my life. I loved it. I led a team of 10 people in a feminist oriented service. Um, so we had child and adolescent counsellors, we had women's counsellors, we had court support workers, and we had community educators. And we all worked together as a team and hopefully did great things for the local community. I joined together with other domestic violence services um, to, we exchanged ideas and supported each other. And then um, I joined in national organisations like Australia Women Against Violence Alliance, um, the um, Practitioner Engagement Group for ANROSE. Um, yeah, so sorry, it's, I've waffled, haven't I? <laughs> no, you haven't, Jude. That was, that was really interesting. Did you want to add more to that? No, because I was just thinking as soon as I mentioned Enrose and that, I thought, oh, I'm going to talk yep. about that in a minute, aren't I? Preempting it. Okay. Now, yep. um, okay. Well, I will then say, um, Jude, you're quite a surprise package. There were a few little gems in there that I hadn't anticipated. The bookstore sounds very interesting, <laughs> but I'm going to, for the, for the purposes of the bulb, follow the threads of your your advocacy work, your gendered violence work, mm. and given and New Zealand's losses, Australia's gain, I'll just put that <laughs> out there. But given you know the the duration of, of the race you've been running, what have you seen change over that time? Ah, yes, yes. Um, I don't know if it happened over here, but I remember way back when there was a big sign outside of the police station, it's not just a domestic. And that started the movement of, of thinking that family violence was important for lots of other reasons rather than just hiding it behind closed doors and minding your own business. So that was the big move that I saw and appreciated. Um, we we learned a lot about types of violence, about how it happened to various cohorts of people. It wasn't just limited to married people, um, you know, in the, in the 
generally prescribed thing. Um, also, we learned about it wasn't just physical violence. Um, violence was visited upon women in many different ways. And I guess mostly with the women's studies, um, I learned that women's independence was important. You know, I mean, I got married in 1966 and never thought about women's independence. Um, so there was a move in society at large about and uh, towards feminism, towards a feminist analysis of what how women lived and why they lived like that. Um, I was also deeply involved in the church. Um, and so while I appreciated um, the good things about the church and still do, um, I also was very mindful of the restrictions that, that were put on women as, as part of church teachings, doctrine. Um, and yeah, um, it was my women's studies. I investigated religions and, and got quite a good analysis there. So there was a lot of things that impacted on women's lives in those days. Um, certainly my granddaughters and the other young people I know aren't aware of the restrictions that we took for granted. Um, and this is what I've seen the, the big change in, and this is what I appreciate. And I know this whole, whole areas of trauma that women are going through, um, you know, childhood sexual abuse, um, young women trying to enter relationships and they're, they're turning out to be abusive, um, married women who, just imagine they will always be married to an abuser because they can't see any alternative. While those people are still there, we've also got women who say, I'm going to be what I want to be. I don't have to rely on a man or on someone else to allow me or to enable me to be what I want to be. And Jude, in one of our other podcasts, we, we spoke with Pauline and she touched on some of the issues you did and thinking about the fact that now it is part of our and we keep using the term conversation and we've got to get past having conversations and start <laughs> maybe doing more about what's going on but what changed in terms of how we respond to mm. women who may be experiencing violence mm. in their homes or relationships mm. I think we're much more responsive. I think, um, you know, working within a domestic violence specialist service, um, I think now we are um, far less judgmental. We are far more open to believing women at the point at which they come in and talk to us. Um, we are much better at realising that there are alternatives and that we can offer them um, strategies for one for staying safe, two for um, not being abused anymore, and three for moving on with their lives and and being who they want to be and and recognizing their abilities and and giving them some very positive um, messages to carry forward. And we've seen policy change. We've seen the growth of research in this domain as well. So that's all contributing, do you think, to this change that we're seeing? I came over to Queensland at a magical time. Uh, the national plan was just being written, literally, and um, put out. And um, that was a very exciting analysis 
of, of what was happening to with violence against women. Um, and out of that grew Anne Rose and the research that came out of there, has come out of there, has contributed hugely to our analysis and our thinking and our practice um, of, of what we do for women involved in violence, um, violence against them. Um, we've also locally um, got, obviously, where I'm sitting now, um, the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research, which started as SIDFA in 2003 and has been a wonderful resource for Queensland-wide places, a combination between the university and the government. What a fabulous idea. So there's lots of great things that have happened. We had the Not Now, Not Ever report, which came out in 2015 and had 140 recommendations and con concluded, as I have concluded, that education is a huge thing and everybody just about in whatever um, industry or work or area that they are based needs to be educated in the dynamics and, and um, the responses to family violence. So you've talked about the great strides and there have been some and even thinking about how services work together to keep women safe is something that's still emerging, isn't it? Yes, and that's been an important part, uh, and I say, of my learning. Um, when I came over here, and I, I came from the refuge movement in New Zealand, and we didn't know where the houses were, obviously, and, you know, it was all very confidential, and it was geared to ke keeping women safe, and I absolutely got that, and I came over here, and it was still like that, but we had um, counselling services that were funded by government, as you know, and, and it gradually opened up, and then we really realised, um, and this was partly through the training that, that, that SIDFA offered, um, we realised that women, uh, that people who were working in generalist services could really benefit from getting the information and expertise that DV specialised specialists could, could offer. Um, so that began, I think, a process of integration, a process of working together for high-risk clients, um, a process um, for me, the first part of that process was working with the police, um, forming good relationships with, with police, um, forming good relationships with court systems, the, the whole legal system really became very important to me. And now that has broadened out to all the other family services. Um, we started a community response um, so that we were working together more and that's grown much, much more now. Um, and as, as you know, the government's um, responses, integrated responses towards family violence have been hugely important in, in helping women affected. Jude, you've talked about the changes that you saw and have seen over the, over the past few years, but what else would you like to see being done? What more could be done, do you think? Um, can I just preface that by saying, as a feminist, I absolutely believe that women should have all the support they can get, that services should have all the funding they can get so that women will be safe and can move on with their lives. But who is the problem here? Men. So, oh, sorry, and I know I'm, no, I'm not going to apologise for using a gendered um, analysis of this because it's where I've been. Um, 
men perpetrators have been the issue. Yes, we have offered them, um, mostly in big towns, um, some programs, some support. It varies a lot in its analysis. Um, the train, the, the men's programs, starting with making sure they are good programs, making sure they suit the culture, making sure they fit with what is required, making sure that they are mandated is probably the best way of doing it, um, I think, but making sure that men actually attend them. Um, I want to see them in prisons. The minute a man goes into prison for any violence-related um, crime, I want, I want to see men taught that this is not okay. Before that, I want to see young boys taught that this is how women should be treated. I want this to start from kindergarten, you know, that the girls are as valuable as boys. The girls aren't the ones that are doing the kitchen work um, with pretty frocks on, that boys aren't the ones who are playing, you know, hardball sports and, and are big, tough, and, and, you know, don't mind a bit of a fight when it happens. We have to change the culture around gender so that, men unlearn that they have to be the master of the house and that women learn that they are equal to the men and between them, if that's the kind of um, partnership they want, that's great. But they're each um, individuals and they each have responsibilities um, to act with respect to each other. Thanks, Jude. And I don't think we'll get started talking about changing the rape culture in which we... <laughs> Not, <laughs> we this Not, Not this week. Not this week. Jude, you've shared so freely with us on the bulb today, and we're very grateful for that. You keep fighting the good fight or running the good race, whichever analogy you want to use. What gives you hope in this area? What gives me hope is when I look at my granddaughter's and other young women, and I look at my grandsons, and I see different people um, to the generation that I was. It's a long way from perfect, but it's better. Uh, boys, look, there's so much that you can be negative about in this world. But honestly, there are beautiful boys in this world and there are beautiful girls in this world and they understand how to behave and they will grow and have respectful relationships and, and the world will be a better place because of them. They won't be the majority, maybe, I don't know. But while we have good people in the world, we have hope and we do have good people. And Jude, I think we know firsthand that you're definitely one of them. Oh, so thank God, you. Thank that. you, Jude, <laughs> um, for being with us on the bulb today. We've really appreciated your time. We hope you found this edition of the Bulb Enlightening. If you'd like to know more about our work, please visit noviolence.org.au. For victims and survivors of gendered violence who may have found the content of this podcast disturbing, free, confidential 24-hour counselling is available nationally on 1800 737 
732 through 1800 RESPECT. If you would like to know more about responding to domestic and family violence, CQ University offers a range of postgraduate and other study options. Visit cqu.edu.au and search courses for domestic violence to learn more.